Welcome, and thank you for listening to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast in conjunction with the ABA Task Force. I'm your host, Ms. J, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Let's dig in and do life together with behavior analysis now. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to thank everybody for coming on to our or listening to our podcast today. We have the Business Roundtable once again with our very, very awesome guest, um, we have Miss Mariah Half, Miss Jennifer Eaton, and Miss Lakeisha Cobbs Hayes here to give us some of their expertise, to give us some of their knowledge, and to just listen to their wisdom on being business owners and having your own business and being being that leader in the field. I I, I completely think that. These are our emerging leaders in ABA, and it's good to have them now before they're so big that I can't get them booked on a show. So so we have these lovely ladies, and today I want to talk about the proponents against ABA. I want to talk about some of those negative connotations that it's kind of floating around and it seems like it's floating around a little bit more, especially with, you know, the um, inception of clubhouse where you have all these people coming together from different walks of life for ABA against ABA. Then you have individuals with autism who say, Hey, ABA was harmful to me. And what can we do as a science to, better make sure that we're not causing harm, that we're doing the very best job that we can as clinicians, as as, um, the the leaders in ABA in the field. And as the field grows, we wanna make sure that we're doing the very best possible job that we can for those that are entrusted to us. So my first question to you ladies um, would be, have you heard about this big movement that seems to be picking up steam that ABA is harmful, that it's it's actually a detriment to individuals with autism and it's not as helpful as we may believe that it is. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We've all heard it. Right. Um, yeah. You know, oh, it's been around for a while too. Even since yeah. the nineteen seventies, when Lobas came out and they called, you know, ABA creating small robots because the only style used was DTT. Mm-hmm. And you know what you have to say back to the the critics is it's it's all about how you provide the ABA. It's not what ABA is. It's how you provide it. Right. Right. And Just as anything else, I mean anything and mass quantity or you know delivered in the wrong way can be wrong for you I mean just think about sugar you know (laughs) like any Mm -hmm. anything that we think about has its pros and its cons to it and um, if manipulated the wrong way will definitely create another you know um, something either for it or against it I think that's why I honestly really like ABA is because it's not it's not a one-size-fit-all Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a, okay, you know, let's just go buy this box and you, you need to make sure that everything fits in this box. It's no, let's go create our own box and make sure that, you know, everything that we're doing is tailored to the actual box and not just, you know, to just fit a status quo. So I, I think that's one of the things that literally draw, drew me, um, especially to ABA. Awesome. 
So I know that one of the arguments against um, ABA is that it causes PTSD, that some of our tactics or our interventions, our, um, our principles cause PTSD in individuals with autism. What would you say to someone giving you that argument? It's a, it's a tough, I mean, it's always a tough conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that we have a code of ethics for a reason right? and, you know, just as everyone else has said, it's, it's a really individualized approach. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, the beauty of ABA is that it does create long lasting effects of a meaningful life, right? Um, and one of the things I like to tell families a lot is, you know, tell your child about their journey. You know, Mariah and I were just having this conversation the other day where we have a client that we're transitioning and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, he has no idea how hard he has worked. Right. And I think it's really important to share their journey along the lifespan to let them know that, Hey, you know, you had a bit of a different upbringing. Not all children have ABA. Right? right. Not everybody knows what ABA is. And, and, and the child doesn't even know that they're receiving ABA. This is their lifestyle at this right. time. Right. And I think the beauty is to really focus on the changes that you've made and how mm -hmm. hard the child has worked to get to where they are. And I think being very transparent and forthcoming about their success and their hardships will help guide them hopefully to a place of peace and understanding that, Hey, you know what? I, I did have a different upbringing. I was an ABA therapy X amount of hours for this amount of time in my life, mm -hmm. but I didn't have this skill set and I didn't have this skill set and I didn't have this skill set. And guess what? I've overcome those hurdles because of right. it. Um, but I think you have to be very careful. You know, I, as everyone has mentioned, it, it can have side effects. Um, but I think focusing as, as we kind of tell parents all the time, let's focus on the positive and focus on the positive outcomes. Um, I think that that's where the emphasis really needs to lie. Right. And I, I, I grapple with this a lot. And I, I think as far as PTSD, um, I'm a, I'm, I consider myself, I guess, a, a realist. And so I'm not necessarily sure as a parent that I haven't given my own personal child PTSD. You know, like, <laughs> and, and I think that's where it comes in as is everything would be considered PTSD if it's had an aversive effect on you at right. some point or another. You know what I mean? And so when you talk about PTSD, then let's talk about what that looks like and what was your best interest at heart? So I think it then comes down to exactly what Jennifer was saying is, how are, how are we presenting the information as it comes, right? Mm -hmm. Because at the time and at any time, we're all doing the best that we know how until something comes along and maybe there's some different evidence-based uh, research or there's some different strategies or something that comes along that says, okay, this is a better way of doing that. And if this works for this individual, then let's go ahead and try that. You know, I, I, I constantly tell all of our parents is, and I know this is like the most horrible way to say this, but there's several ways to skin a cat. 
Right. right? <laughs> and so just because there's one way that somebody is talking about, that doesn't mean that that way is for you. And when you find out that that is an aversive thing to someone, then we try a different way mm-hmm. and you go about it. And so I think it's really, like she said, it's just really explaining to families and or individuals that have been in this position is first, our, our first thing is to do no harm. Mm-hmm. And then the second is if we've done harm, then how do we rectify that situation and how do we do the best that we can? We can't change the past. Right. And so what you're seeing is 20 something year olds talking about things that were happening 20 years ago. And that's not we're not in the same we're, we're in the same field, but it's not the same practice. Right. Right. Which I think is a good distinction that you made that we're talking to a lot of um, older individuals who may have had this straight DTT only, only or in a in, clinic setting, right? Or in an institution setting, right? Home. Right, yeah. where they had this particular type of ABA that is now considered outdated or is no longer in practice. So they're not seeing the what's being done now to help individuals with autism and other developmental disabilities to develop and gain those skills that they may be lacking in. But I have another question for you. And I wonder, because I've heard BCBAs on both sides of this issue as well, but the suppression of STEMs or self-stimulatory behavior. So the flapping, the, the clapping, the um, different behaviors such as those, some BCBA say they don't program to get rid of those. They don't program to suppress or decrease the instances of that particular behavior, while others say, no, these behaviors need to be addressed and they need to be decreased. So how do you guys feel about the suppression of self-stimulatory behaviors? Ones that are not harmful, I'll put it that way not the 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 ones that you know are eye gouging or things like that i think you have to think of the function mm-hmm. as any bca would say right get to right. the function um and think about what it's serving this individual and how to make it you say socially appropriate but you know the world's changing right and right. you know just as we had autism awareness month um, it used to be what autism acceptance, right? Or no, it used to be autism awareness and now they're changing it to autism yes. acceptance, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, you know, that kind of speaks volumes, right? They're, every individual is different. You know, right. the, my hair looks different than your hair. I mean, I have blue eyes, somebody else has brown eyes. Um, and the way that you manage your own self-stimulatory behaviors, I mean, I develop this, I do this all the time now. Is it socially appropriate? I don't know. I don't care. I do it because it's calming. Right. Um, and, you know, I think you really have to think about, is this something that is going to help them or mm-hmm. hurt them? Right? right. And think about how to really treat it from a functional standpoint. Um, a lot of self-stimulatory behaviors are a lot of them are sensory seeking, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and not every single one of them, but a lot of them are sensory. Um, and I think we're, we're kind of shifting as a science to really focus on how to implement more of these sensory-based tools for, for kiddos and for adults and for everyone. 
um, and make it more appropriate. You know, kiddos that need Velcro under their desk that, um, that helps them, you know, focus in school. It's not just specific to children with autism. Right. It could be applied to any child, right? Any child that has difficulty focusing could benefit from maybe a squishy chair or or Velcro under their desk or whatever it might be. So I think you have to really think about it from a functional standpoint and also really think about how it could apply to all children and to all learners, not just specifically those with autism. Right. And that's what I always make sure to tell families too, is we all have sensory seeking or self-stimulatory behaviors. Some people Mm -hmm. twirl their hair, some people tap their foot, um, and they all serve a a certain function for that person. But it's knowing the difference of time and place, you know, Mm -hmm. when can I do it? Where is it appropriate? Should I excuse myself to go, you know, to a different area so that I can do what I need to do to get myself back into a regulated state? Um, So it's really knowing the individual and working with the family and their dynamic and what's going to work best for them. And I'm going to just mirror everything that they said, which is it really depends on the person. We don't specifically um, uh, program to reduce those behaviors, but we also program to add additional skills. Mm -hmm. Right. So and the same thing applies. So we work with adults and children. And I think what um, Jennifer uh, was saying also, which is the world is changing. Mm-hmm. As an employer, I, I personally cannot discriminate against someone that's coming in and hand flapping in, in an interview process. So why is it that I would then change that behavior for another individual? So it, it is that appropriate? Well, I mean, it just depends. It's a, it, it may be distracting in the interview, but does that diminish their skill level? Does that diminish who they are as a person? Am I going to not hire them because they're hand flapping? That's not the case. And so I think, again, it's uh, our world is changing. We're accepting. I mean, just look at the LGBTQIA+. Plus. Us. <laughs> Just think about it. We had LGBTQ, I think LGBT, and then it was Q and then IA and then plus. And, you know, I mean, and I'm just, I'm guessing right now. I don't even know if those are all the letters. And if they aren't, I apologize because I I don't know. But I, I think that as we are all evolving, the science is evolving, people are evolving. And I think if everybody takes a step back and really program for the individual, then you would know exactly who to program for and what to program for and not just put in something cookie cutter just because that's what the book says. Right. That, that, and I tell people all the time, like I, I actually am very cautious about saying that I'm an ABA company. Mm-hmm. I tell people that I am a behavioral health company. I work with children and adults with disabilities. We work on anything that's going to help them improve their life the way they want it to, mm-hmm. not the way that I want it to. You know, as soon as I walk in the house, I tell my parents, my job is to teach you what I know, whatever it is that you want to know. And my job is to get out of here. I'm not trying to be here at 22. My goal is teach you what these functions look like so that then you're able to recognize the behavior, see what you want to change, and then go ahead and be able to do that. And that whether that be for the individual or the parents, then that's my job. And so I think when you take that approach, 
then it takes out all of the anxiety around what ABA is supposed to look like. You know, I even take that approach with my, my staff. This is a company where you can come and be who you are. Mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong answers. If you're doing it and you can explain to me why you're doing it and it's decreasing the behavior or increasing the, what we want it to increase, then absolutely try it. Right. Do it. Just really make like sure that. that, you know, it, it it makes sense. It makes sense for the individual and it makes sense for the people around the individual that, you know, that needs the information. Excellent. And like, I think, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just said I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I recently had uh, an assessment to come up and I called the parent and I, you know, and a, a lot of these these uh, questions that I have for you come from either my my going down that rabbit hole, wondering you know why are these you know why are there so many people um, against ABA, just kind of trying to understand that better. But also from like I said, I had an assessment schedule, call this parent up, and I'm like, hey, I just want to confirm our appointment, and she says, you know, I really don't. She's like, I changed my mind. I really don't want to do ABA because I've heard all these negative things about ABA and I prefer to do something else for my child. And that, again, kind of sent me down that rabbit hole. Like, so what did you hear? What, you know, what are you um, apprehensive about? Is there anything that I can I can provide you any evidence that I can provide you that will put your mind at ease? And she's like, nope, I'm over it. I'm good. Thank you. Anyway. <laughs> and she was just completely against it. So like I said, I went down this rabbit hole and another issue that arose from the things that I've um, sought out, researched and seen is that ABA forces compliance. That was another big issue for a lot of people that are against ABA is that we force compliance um, in the children that we 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 are are assigned to that we that we um that we get or given the opportunity to work with so what do you say to that that we force compliance on these children or these adults with these diagnoses our life is compliance i was gonna say go into any (laughs) any classroom and what do you see compliance if you if, if you don't come in here and wear a mask hence my mask that I have on my neck. If you don't go into a business and you refuse to wear a mask, what's getting ready to happen? This is why people are getting thrown off of planes because they don't feel like they have to follow the rules Mm -hmm. that are set for the environment. So when you don't follow the rules that are set for that environment, then there are consequences that happen. So I'm I'm always kind of on that fence Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some good compliance. I mean, because you know, in the black community, you do as I say. Right. Period. Right. You don't ask no questions. You do what I tell you to do. You follow all directions, and it's twofold. One, mm-hmm. because we don't want our kids to be out there and get shot. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. So it's twofold as to why we preach compliance, and we are great at this job because it's innate. In right. That. Right. But for the most part, compliance is necessary 
everywhere. So what part of compliance are are you are we talking about? Now there are some unnecessary and as you know, as we grow out of the old adage, especially in the black community, because I can only speak for myself, then we then start to allow for our children to question us in, in, in micro. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, not a lot. <laughs> right, because there is something within this compliance thing. But when we start thinking about, okay, well, how do, how do I allow for my child to have a voice? Or how do I allow for this individual to have a voice? And, and when is it appropriate and inappropriate? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the compliance comes in is, Let's talk about appropriateness versus inappropriateness. Now, if I'm walking into a grocery store and the sign says that I have to wear a mask, then, and I don't want to wear a mask, you don't get food. It's right. just that simple. You order. I mean, there's other avenues. So if you don't want to wear a mask, what what are our other choices? Mm-hmm. So I think are you going to tap your coping skills? Yeah, right. let's go to coping. Figure skills. out plan B and C. Let's right. talk about choices. Right. You have, you have options. Mm-hmm. Now, I was just telling somebody the other day, I said, oh, my God. I said, you have two choices that you never can make. And that's when you're born and when you die. Everything else is a choice. Right. That's very true. Yeah. Well, Everything and it's so true. Choice. Like, I mean, life is full of compliance everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, typical children are taught compliance and discipline from the, you know, from from birth. I mean, you know, and as Keisha said, there are rules in life. I mean, you have to have a driver's license to get on the road. You have to follow the rules, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, and it changes, right? There are driving rules that are specific to California that are not specific to New York. I mean, you can jaywalk in New York. I mean, p- pedestrians have the right of way, mm-hmm. you know, California, you get a ticket for it. So it's understanding that life is full of rules that you have to follow. Um, See, can't come in right now. <laughs> you gotta follow the rules. You gotta follow the rules. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I think that it really comes down to teaching it compassionately. Right. You know, right. Um, you know teaching a child the, the, the SD to sit down. I mean, you have to sit down in a classroom. You have to sit down on an airplane. You have to sit down on a in a car. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just teaching it to, to teach you to follow the rules. It's teaching it because these are necessary life skills that are going to generalize to multiple environments. Right. Um, norms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk exactly. about societal norms. What is it? And I think we miss that part. When people talk about compliance, we're not talking about what is the population of your house? What is the population in your city? Mm-hmm. And so therefore, is this necessary? And and then, I mean, we get into, like you said, there's different microchasms. So I, I am more of a natural environment teaching person. Let's talk about what your natural environment looks like. And then let's go ahead and tailor your programming to that natural environment whereas maybe you go somewhere else and they're not necessarily focused on natural environment per se but more DTT and developing skills and so maybe there's more rule following in that environment but you have to figure out what are your antecedent strategies what what, how are you using those right right and teaching functionally, like if you're going to teach something that is involving a, a larger skill set, make sure that it makes sense to the learner in that environment. 
So therefore, those rules are applied to that environment. So I'm going to teach you how to tie your shoes. Maybe it might be hard if I teach you how to follow my instructions step by step. But if we do it with the motivation of going outside, then those steps become more applied and right. easier to follow. And yeah. I'm not following my instructions. You're following a set of rules to get me to something that I want to go do later. And eventually, right. if we got to a point where we're just not making progress, then tying shoes, there's another yeah. type of shoe. Yes, Velcro. Yep. There's yep. slip-ons. There's always options. There's slip-ons. I got on mm-hmm. Crocs right now because I don't like tying shoes. Matter of <laughs> fact, I don't even tie my shoes. I just put them on. I, I make sure I wear Birkenstocks all the time. They slip I'm right off. There's a preference. And, and, and I think the conversation needs to be had with parents. Why do you want them to do this? Mm-hmm. Right? right. And that's and that's really just the question is, okay, let's talk about tying shoes. We've been trying to tie shoes for, I don't know, six months now. Is it that important to tie their shoes? Have you thought about how easy or how hard it is for them? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Is there another option? And if they don't know how to tie their shoe, do, does that make your child less than? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But you only really know how to ask those questions when you've actually been in those situations and not afraid. Right. right? You have to be able to talk to your parents not afraid. I'm not afraid to speak to my parents. I was a parent. I, I'm, I'm not still are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I am a parent. Right. When I wasn't a parent, I maybe not know knew all of the questions to ask. But as a parent, is what do I want best for my child? I want them to be happy, healthy, and whole. Right. I want right. them to be themselves. Right. So you also have to. I mean, unfortunately, it, it sounds crazy, but you have to die to whatever it is that you thought this child was going to be. Whatever your thoughts were about this kid, you have to die to that because. That they're individuals. I have right. six kids, and every last one of them are not doing anything that I asked them to do on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> anything that I thought that they should be right is is dead. I want my son to go up north because I think that he'll be better. He's like, no, mom, I don't want to go up north. I want to go to this school around the corner. And what am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to force that on him? Right, right. So, I mean, it's really a question I had to ask my own personal self is, okay, well, what is it that, what is best for him? Mm -hmm. What is it that he wants? And then I need to be able to adapt to that. And so sometimes the question is, have the parents asked that question? Have they really realized what, what what their child wants and not just what they think this child should be? Right. But I loved y'all, you guys' initial reaction to the <laughs> to the forced compliance argument because you're right. There, you know, every day we have to comply with something, whether we want to or not. There's something to comply to, even you know, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed at night, you're complying with demands. You're complying with different societal norms that inherently they're there for us to do like we can't get around it I mean we can we have a choice but you know like if you want certain things you have to comply with certain demands so I loved you guys reaction to that (laughs) it was amazing yeah I mean it's so true I agree I'm glad we're all on the same page with this oh yes me too (laughs) (laughs) so the next um item that I found in my rabbit hole search was that 
ABA punishes feelings. Now, I know that some may argue that we don't do feelings because feelings are hypothetical constructs and all that jazz. And you can go down, we can go down that rabbit hole for days on end. But for me, I, when I'm working with a kiddo or working with a teen, I, I mean, we teach feelings. We teach how to identify emotions. We teach these things. So I honor at least the emotion in the child. Like if a kid is crying because they're frustrated, I'm not going to, you know, just completely ignore them. And well, depending on the function of the behavior, but let's say that, (laughs) let's say the function is not attention or escape. They're just frustrated. I'm not going to just, you know, bypass their feeling and not acknowledge them. I'm going to say, I know you're frustrated and that's okay, but we got to get this done. I'm at least going to acknowledge that this is how you feel, but I know not everybody does that. I know not everybody um, looks at feeling. They look more, you know, to the science of things, to the, they're very concrete in what they look at, what they do. But how do you guys feel about the argument against ABA that we are just completely feelingless individuals that are delivering these these demands toward children and that we're just these robots that are trying to produce other robots. I disagree. Right. I, I, you know, we teach emotions, we teach to identify on others. We teach to identify in self mm-hmm. we teach coping strategies to recognize how to work through that emotion. Um, you know, again, it, it does, it does depend on the function, but you know, there are certain learners that, if they're frustrated and they're unable to tell us they're frustrated, then we label it for them. We help them mm-hmm. identify it, but they need to work through it the way that is best for them. Right. You know, there are certain learners that don't want any additional help. Like they just need to kind of work through it on their own. And when they're ready, they'll come to you and they'll tell you what happened and they'll tell you, express to you how they felt. And there are other learners that will tell you in the moment that they're frustrated or they're mm-hmm. happy, mm-hmm. you know, um, I had a kiddo a month and a half ago or so where we were playing something and we had been working on emotions for a while and he can identify them in others and he can identify them in, in himself, but he doesn't, he doesn't express it often. Mm-hmm. So he more so will express if he's mad or frustrated, but if he's happy, right, he doesn't express that as much. He just kind of shows you in his kind of body language, etc. And we were playing something and um, he came up to me and he said, I feel happy. And I stopped everything I was doing. And I turned on that. I think it's the Pharrell Williams happy song. And we had a dance party because I I said, this doesn't happen very often. And when it does in my head, and I was training with an RBT at the time. And I said, when this happens, you stop what you're doing and you have a dance party. Right. That moment because this is hard. And guess what? Mm-hmm. He spontaneously when he said this right now. So we are going to show him that guess what? When you show me that you're happy and you come and tell me, we are all going to have a dance party and be happy right now. Um, to really recognize that this is a hard skill for you to, to express to us often. Mm-hmm. He's a happy kid, right? right? But doesn't come out and say it all the time. Um, and so I, I disagree. I think that we really focus on emotional well-being and honoring 
you know, where a child's at, helping them recognize it on themselves, helping them recognize it in others and really promoting, you know, their ability to express that and show these things to us, whether it's a positive emotion or I guess, I don't want to say negative emotion, but you know, an emotion of frustration or mm-hmm. anger because they're all emotions and right. we all we have to feel all of them. Right. Right. And, and especially in our practice, you know, we really honor the fact that an emotion is something that you need to work through and we teach coping strategies to be able to work through it. So I think that we focus on the fact that this is a necessary life skill and it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be angry. You can tell right. me no, just don't right. bite me. Right. You say that. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Just don't bite me. Just yeah. don't hit me. Don't hit me. Right. No, just say you, you done. I, I'm going to let you be done. Just say you're done. You don't have right. to hit me say you're done. <laughs> you can be all done. Right. So, but that's I, our job is to teach that, to teach that replacement language rather mm-hmm. than engaging in the, you know, the maladaptive behaviors, recognizing that they're trying to tell me something and teaching them that replacement. Jen and I had a kiddo a couple of weeks ago who increased his level two tantrums just it was a spontaneous recovery. And all we had to do is teach him how to tell us no. As right. soon as he got that low tech version of no, I don't want this, the mm-hmm. behaviors instantly started to decrease. So it's, it's, it's always analyzing that function and always look at what is the behaviors telling us. Right. Right. And all emotions are emotions. And I think that, um, you know, an emotion is different than a behavior. Right. So right. we're not teaching um, you know, or punishing emotions, we're actually teaching how to acquire um, emotions and what to do when you feel that way. Right. Uh, so. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not much that you can say. I mean, I don't, for those that are not teaching emotions, I mean, that, that it, it, it's really sad and I hope that it's not happening. Um, but I think that it, you just you need to know the person that you're working with mm-hmm. and you need to recognize our job is to recognize and analyze the functions of behavior and then provide some type of functional communication to increase the skills that you want and figure out what and the replacement behavior to reduce the ones that you don't want mm-hmm. and whether that be reducing the ones I mean I'm right now I'm I'm Going, I'm on some type. I'm not necessarily, I'm not calling it a diet. I'm not on a diet, but I want to tone up. Mm-hmm. So I need to reduce my intake of sugar. Now, how mm-hmm. am I going to do that? I don't know because I really like sugar. <laughs> right? And I'm hangry. I'm, I'm definitely, ha- I'm going to label it as hangry. I get upset. I get a headache. I'm frustrated. I, I, I need some sugar. Am I getting ready to do that? So when we talk about, these are natural things that happen. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a catch-22 because you're right. In our science, people are saying that we don't recognize emotions off the bat, that it is a private event. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, it's not, quote, unquote, valid. And that's not the truth. That's right. not That's not how it should. It is a private event, and it is absolutely valid. Right. Right. I agree. Now let's figure out how to 
express it. Let's figure out how to let the other person know. Let's figure out how to tell somebody when I need a minute, which is what we teach, right? Mm-hmm. I need a minute. I need a break. We need to figure out that functional communication so that we're not spazzing out on people just as adults or children. Right, right. And I, I think, you know, there, I, I've been calling a lot. I opened up the sensory spot. And so one of our programs is Tiny Humans. Mm-hmm. We're humans. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have like tiny humans and social humans. So we have a tiny humans program. And we talk about what socialization looks like and working through, you know, just interactions with other people and then the social humans is the same thing how do how can we be more social with each other what does that social look like and so I think if we just stop and recognize that everyone is a human being then we'll stop labeling and saying oh your feelings don't matter no you're right matter but I think as a society we have to also look at that and say no your feelings do count however are they appropriate for this moment what's the function Mm-hmm. What's happening right now? Let's figure out what's happening, and then we can figure out how to help you. <laughs> right. I saw this. I saw this meme yesterday, and it was um, it was this little kid. I don't know, maybe like four or five years old, and it said, "We all have this friend," and he. It was a boy. He walks up to a swing, and it's like a big circular swing, right? Mm-hmm. And he tries to get on, and he fails, and he just falls to the floor and starts screaming and kicking and crying. And, um, and then the caption said overreaction. (laughs) (laughs) Is this appropriate for the moment? Right. Just try again. Um, But I think that, you know, it it made me think about what you were just saying, Keisha, you know, again, it comes back to, being able to teach coping skills and and regulation skills and recognize that, you know, it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to be surprised. It's okay to be hungry. You know, I mean, it's just about how you express and apply it in context and it's same with societal norms. Like I can't go to the grocery store and throw a tantrum because I don't want to wear a mask. I'm not going to be let in. The tantrum's not going to work, you know? So again, it goes back to choices put the mask on or figure out plan B. Those are your choices. And the Instacart works well. (laughs) Yes, it does. I mean, I wear a mask in the grocery store. I avoid the tantrum. (laughs) But yes. I I Instacart because I just got a hell of a for hours in the mask. I mean, it makes sense to me. If I got to go to the store, then I follow the rules. I mean, it's it's society's rules. Mm Mm-hmm. If we didn't have rules, then, I mean, that that right there is a whole conversation. If, right. we, if there were no rules, what would we do? Lord, it would be a mess. <laughs> I'd be moving to Venus. Right. <laughs> I would be out of here. Right? I mean, because if we do what we want every single waking minute of our lives, what would happen? I mean, like, just think about it. We're all, I mean, there's a, a lot more people that are more rule-governed than others, but... Mm-hmm. What does that look like with no rules? So you're asking me as far as compliance, as far as feelings, as far as all of these things is to, is to put you in a world where there are no rules. And so you can be whoever you want to be. And in a sense, that's OK. But if 
four people, if two, well, I mean, let's take three. If two people agree that this is the rule, then it's now a rule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I don't know what you want me to do. Right. We've got to do it. Yeah. So, the last thing, oh, I'm sorry, Jennifer, you can go ahead. I was just going to say that I feel like all of these questions really tie into each other and kind of come right. back to the same kind of common idea. Right. They And they do, like, especially now that, you know, we're talking about it and we're kind of discussing the various pieces and, and how we as clinicians um, address those particular arguments. Like, they do tie into each other or one is based, you know, is kind of the foundation of another or, you know, this one is the foundation of that thing and that thing then ties into this thing and it's all interrelated in some kind of way. So the last thing that I found that I wasn't too sure about this one. So I'm just going to let you guys have at it because you're great and you can handle it and you know this stuff and it's wonderful is that ABA, and I could be saying the word wrong, pathologizes, which I think I said it right, play. So it pathologizes play, which I take it to mean that, you know, it's that we make play so structured. So um, this, this is not an organic thing that we, that it, it can become because we, program for it we put in all these rules for it that it becomes this thing that's not natural for a child to do or an individual to do so what do you feel about that can I call bullshit (laughs) yeah you can you can call whatever you want (laughs) I mean I'm just saying our name is rooted in play like I just right right I mean at the end of the day Our goal in our practice is for somebody to walk in and think that we are just playing. Mm -hmm. Like, and half the time that's what it looks like. But I got A, B, C, D, E, F, G going on in my head, right? Um, I just, and there may be some practices that do. I can't speak for everybody. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. But I think that, you know, yes, Keisha, I'm with you. Like, let's just call BS on it because (laughs) it is. Play is the language of children. Mm-hmm. It, is. it is. Um, and I, you know, it, it depends on the learner again, as everything, right. Because there are certain children that, that do need a little bit more structure to help them understand these skills, but the goal is to get in and get out with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and some kids like it. I mean, we have a kiddo that he, we discovered he could read before he was three and he really responds well when we kind of like write out steps for him. Mm-hmm. But that's only through the initial teaching phase so that he understands like where we're going with this. Right, right. Right. But now you do it once or twice. He generalizes the skill across people, across settings. Um, and he likes it. He, he's so much fun. He's so happy. I mean, you know, we're playing cashier, we're playing grocery store, we're playing doctor, we're playing veterinarian. I brought my dog to play veterinarian. Oh, you that's know? so cute. That is yes. awesome. So, you know, it's really like, it, it can be done in a structured way to help the, with the teaching phase, depending on the kiddo. But then we have another learner where it's like, we're just doing it because mm-hmm. he knows how to follow my lead. And this is how we're playing today. You know, so it just, again, it goes back to what that child needs and how to help them get there. But that's the beauty of individualized learning. Mm-hmm. Um but I just think that 
it's so important and it's so fun if done correctly. We teach teach preschool kids how to play. I was prior to going into ABA, I was in early childhood development and I was a preschool teacher for a few years. I, I would even venture to say that I'm still kind of a preschool teacher, depending on the learner that I'm working with. But we learn about these different play, um, uh, what is it? Play areas, right? Like the symbolic play, imaginative play, right? All of these different avenues on how to play. And so one of the things I even teach my staff is how play looks different, how Mm -hmm. to play, right? And what play looks like. And so I was actually, we just had a new learner over at the sensory spot and she, uh, well, yeah. Um, we have a new learner, new BI. What are we doing? We're learning how to pair. We're learning how to build rapport. That play looks different. And so as they were playing, she's kind of standing around watching, not necessarily right, knowing what to do, which is what happens when we first have a new learner and a new, you know, BI. Uh-huh. And so I was like, okay, so now I need to teach you how uh-huh. to play with him. Uh-huh. Right? I need you, I need you to mimic his actions. You're not necessarily going to play with him, but let's talk about what parallel play looks like. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how you are going to use all of those imitation skills to build that rapport and play with people. When we get a new boyfriend, what we do, we mimic their responses. We mimic their dress. You know what I mean? They Mm -hmm. hold their head to the side. We hold our head to the side. There are so many different areas that when you start talking about play, that is more than just, we're just teaching people how to play the way we want to play Mm -hmm. now that's happening again you need to stop right right you need to stop dictating and being you know this person that's just uh, micromanaging play don't be a play hater (laughs) (laughs) right I mean I'm just saying there there are people that don't know how to play and so therefore play is very structured because they don't know how to play and I mean don't get me wrong I've seen it Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to play, then this this may not be the field for you. And I, I'm quick to say, if you can't get on the floor, like this girl walked in the other day and she was an employee and she had to take her shoes off. And she was just like, oh, my God, I, this is just so nasty. Well, this is not the place for you, honey. Right, right. <laughs> this is not the place for you. You need to be able to clean noses, get down on the ground, take mm-hmm. your shoes off and do what you have to do. And so when you start talking about play, then I, I, I get really just kind of like, ugh. But I, I also got that from uh, Matthew McConaughey, like one of that, <laughs> that one movie where they was playing that that uh, card game bullshit. And he was like, I call bullshit. So that's that was where my thought process came from. It's OK. I know the game. <laughs> I, love, I love I love card games. So I'm like, ah, let's go ahead and throw this card. You lying? Nope. Not <laughs> It's a hard thing to teach too. I agree with you, Keisha. Like you have to be prepared to get on the floor and get sticky mm-hmm. and messy and dirty and crusty and, you know, whatever's happening that day because, right. um, you know, you are entering a child's life. You gotta right. be a child. Gotta be silly. You gotta be playful. You have to be fun. Um, if you are dry, if you are rote, if you are robotic, I mm-hmm. mean, 
you know, like I don't want to play with you. So why, why is he going to play with you? Why is she right. going to play with you? Right. You know, you have to, I always say like, you have to be a child, like put on your game face, walk into, you know, walk into the set, like walk into the circus. Like, yeah. Play, like nobody is watching. Yeah. Have fun. All the time. Well, and the sillier you are, like, I think sometimes like, I don't know. I, I think people get, uh, nervous about like maybe what parents are going to think, or I'm like, listen, the sillier you are, the happier they're going to be. Believe right. me. Um, you and know, it really depends. Cause I, I, I don't know. I mean, you guys have seen me and I've been really smiling, but I, I, I absolutely have RBF like very yeah. bad. And so, <laughs> I, but with kids, it's different. I come alive and then they're yeah. like, Oh, you a different person. I, I I am a different person because this is what I do. This is what I love. Right. Right. And so because I love to do this, then I am whoever I need to be for that individual. Right. And if you can't be that, then this is, this is not the field for you. That's true. That's very true. I think sometimes that people forget that play for children, it's it's like a language. It's a it's the way that they learn. It's the way that they acquire things in their environment. It's the way that you know they they are, they teach themselves. Sometimes is through play. Like how do they? How would a two year old know what a vet is? Like we're not going to sit down with a book and say, "So this is what a veterinarian does." Like we're not going to do that. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to the vet. We're bringing the dog. Right. We're going to meet the veterinarian. We're- right. Like for a two year old, that's absolutely ridiculous. And or a three year old or however, that's so stupid. Like they're not going to get it. They're not. I mean, they may, but. But if I, you know, have a pet, you know, my pet dog or if I have a play dog or a play cat and I'm like, let's play vet. And we're like, let's give him a shot. Let's do this. Let's do that. Like they're learning so much in that one context that is invaluable, you know, to to their learning and their development that we for, you know, like sometimes we forget like being silly and being happy with kids is um, I mean, it's an amazing, fun thing. And they're learning so much. (laughs) <laughs> what would you say? Oh, I said it's an oxymoron. Right, right, <laughs> right. I, and it's and it's crazy. I I I don't know. I just I, I really feel like there there are a couple of things that we we need in this field, and one of them is some early child development courses, mm-hmm. and the yeah. other one is some counseling, some MFT counseling, basic counseling courses mm. because. You're you're coaching parents and you Mm -hmm. don't have the skill set to literally walk them through a counseling session, which is what you're kind of doing on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And then for kids, you're you don't even know the developmental steps that this child should be at. But yet you're programming, you know, so there's there's some some areas in our field just in general that I'm like, I I really wish that these were some of the things that you'd have to you have to take. Right, right. I can understand. I can see that too, especially the child development piece, because it's like, what is a five-year-old supposed to do at five? What are they supposed to know? What are they supposed to, um, what skills are they supposed to have developmentally? And if you don't know, and you're programming for a five-year-old, but you're working on 10-year-old skills, well, you're doing a disservice to that client. 
um, Mm -hmm. or to that kid. So I definitely understand and agree with you on that. But those were the, I think it was five or six rabbit hole, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, those were the five things that I kind of found in my rabbit hole adventure of figure, trying to figure out, you know, why do people hate ABA? Like I, in my head, ABA is so great. It's amazing. Like, how can you not like it? <laughs> but I mean, that's, you know, that's just me being biased, but whatever, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it baffles me that, you know, that we, we still have this argument that there's, that hasn't been any common ground and it seems that there hasn't been any efforts, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like there's been any efforts from, say, ABAI or any of the, the bigger um, organizations to speak with individuals who have this idea that ABA is bad, that there should be some kind of common ground or some type of, some type of coming together of the two groups to iron out the differences or at least to have a better understanding of where each other are coming from. But that's just my little two cents. Who knows? Like it's, it is what it is. But anyway, (laughs) do you guys have any other thoughts about, um, about our topic today or anything you want to say before we wrap up for the day? I mean, I don't necessarily have, anything to say except for I mean I I really I love this field I think that um, we're evolving right I think that um, people are coming into this field looking at it a little differently Mm -hmm. and I think that in the future it's just going to keep getting better Right, right. We're just going to keep evolving. We're going to keep getting better, you know. Um, and you were saying just recently, but when I first uh, started looking at my logo and I started looking at autism as a puzzle piece and I was like, mm. and then I kept hearing little little sayings like, no, we're not accepting the puzzle piece. And mm-hmm. so I think just making sure that if you are a business owner and you are starting your own business, that you're being mindful of what you're hearing out, you know, amongst the um, chatter and you're making sure that your company reflects, you know, the type of people that you want to bring in. And I think from a business standpoint, then it's, it's, it's imperative that you keep on top of all of the things that you're hearing, because then, you know, you're able to explain to families, you know, um, we were hearing a lot of chatter about eye contact. And so one of the things that I did personally was go in and, you know, I meet with our supervisors. And when I go through um, looking at their programming, I'm looking to see what's there. And I'm like, okay, you have eye contact. What is this for? Why is it there? Right. It needs to be purposeful. What are, you know, how did you bring this in? And so I think 
as a business owner, you need to be, especially with, you know, a company serving this population, you need to be mindful of what you're hearing out there, whether it be autism or Down syndrome or, you know, any intellectual disability or any one that you're, or mental illness, right? Because we're not just working with one population. That's one population, but how, how many other populations are you working with? Right. So we're multidisciplinary. So just be mindful of how you're putting together your marketing and, you know, who you're talking to. And I think that it would be helpful. That make, that's a good point. Very good point. I think as clinicians, it's our job to push the bar, you know, mm-hmm. and set a different standard. Right. Um, you know, I think even things that I learned when I was in, was studying for, you know, my BCBA, I mean, it thinks that the code of ethics is always changing. The task right. is always changing. Right. You know, so we're evolving, um, you know, as Keisha said, and I, and I really do think it's our responsibility to show the next generation, this is what the standard is now. We are pushing the bar. We are setting a new set of rules and guidelines um, because the world is changing and we're changing with it. Right. And I think it's really important to especially, you know, BCBAs entering the field and RBTs and BCABAs. And, you know, they didn't even have an RBT when I was studying, when I yep. was in the field. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's really our responsibility to teach what good quality, ethical, fun ABA should look like. I agree with and that as well. Fun. Yeah, I agree. Especially the fun part. Because mm-hmm. this job is so fun if you it allow fun. it to be. Like, this is great. <laughs> like, anywho, because I'll just jump on another soapbox. Miss Mariah, did you have anything? Okay. So <laughs> for everybody listening, don't forget to log on to social media. Follow everybody that's here. You'll see it in our show notes where you can find everybody. Because if I tell you, I will forget and mess everybody's stuff up. So <laughs> look in our show notes for where you can find everybody. Make sure you are following, you're liking, and you're subscribing to everything that they are doing. Um, make sure you go to our information, our social media site, our Life with ABA um, on Instagram and on Facebook and go to lifewithbehavioranalysis.com for any updates and anything we're doing. Some new things are coming out within the next six months. So make sure that you're checking the website because it's really exciting, but I won't get into it right now because it's still in development. So there you have it. <laughs> so make sure you are liking, subscribing, you're sharing this particular episode and send me a message. Let me know what you think. Send me an email email at podcast at lifewithaba.com and we will see you on our next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Also, make sure you check out our website for more content. See you next time. Bye.